Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So some of the hardest words to hear in life are, I told you so. They can be gut-wrenching, can't they? Even worse is when you're facing this traumatic situation, you're broke, you're hurt, you're kind of dealing with this pain, and the person you're talking with can't even say, I told you so. They just give you this look because they don't really have the words to help you because they told you. And now you're sitting in it, and they don't know what to say. You don't know what to say in it. It's just one of those times because you know that all of it could have been avoided. I graduated seminary when I was 28 years old, and I had an amazing pastor who uh, was mentoring me. He'd served in ministry for 35 years at this point. He led small churches, grew very, very large churches, planted churches. He even worked for the state denominational board and, and helped churches. I mean, he just knew a lot, an amazing pastor, and loved mentoring the next generation. I was so thankful to have someone like that. And after I finished seminary, there was an opportunity that came up for me to work at this church, the area I was living in, the area I grew up in. And this church was 225 years old at this point. It was very small and it was very unhealthy. Who else is going to hire a 28-year-old pastor? Let's be honest. All right? It's just, it's the truth. And my pastor knew me. He knew my passions. He knew my experience. And he knew my inexperience. And I was in and out of church growing up, and while we went to some of the more traditional style churches growing up, because that's all there was, um, I was young, and, and none of it really meant that much to me. I mean, it wasn't ingrained in me, and well, truth be told, there wasn't nostalgia behind it all. Right? That's usually why people like things. It's nostalgia, what it brings up, their grandma and things like that. Like I didn't have that in me. And so um, my wife, too, she, she wasn't raised in the church, so she didn't have that. And my pastor looked at this church and kind of who they were and who I was, and he just said, well, Brian, I don't, I don't think that's for you. He said, I think you need to wait for a church that matches who you are, kind of your season of life, and, and this just isn't going to be a good fit. He didn't want me to go to an unhealthy environment, especially just starting off. He knew my heart burned for reaching people. I was um, used to his church and other churches that were more modern in their approach, more really trying to reach the community for the gospel. And so I heard that, but I knew he was just trying to hold me back. <laughs> All right? He didn't know what I knew. You see, I had talked with the search committee. They told me they wanted to reach people for Jesus Christ. They told me they wanted to reach young families. And I said, well, he just doesn't know what I knew. I knew all they needed was good preaching and teaching. It never dawned on me that Jesus was killed for preaching the gospel. And so I knew the answers. I had what it took. And my pastor didn't know what I knew. So I said some of that, not all of it. I said some of it to him. And he said, well, Brian, I think you just need to wait. I think you need to wait for an opportunity that best matches your skills and so on and so on. But because of my vast brightness, my wiseness, 
and my intelligence at 28 years old, I ignored everything he said. And look, I learned this seminary. I made it super spiritual. Because if you want to shut someone down, you know what you do? You say, well, God is calling me. What's he going to say to that? What can you say to that? I immediately shut down the conversation, and no wise pastor is going to argue with that one. So he just said, okay. And I found out what he already knew. They didn't mean they wanted to reach people for Christ. What they meant was they wanted their old way of working to work for the new generation. They wanted what they used to do to now work currently. They wanted to reach people the same way they've always reached people. A better way to understand this is if somebody comes and they're very unhealthy from the diet, it's like going to a doctor saying, hey, I want to lose weight by eating the way that made me unhealthy. It doesn't work, does it? You have to change. You have to adjust. And so over the next few years, I remember sitting down with him because he was gracious. I remember just being exhausted, lost, and confused. And I honestly remember I was, I was broken. I wanted to quit all of it. But because he was a gracious man, he would sit down and listen to me. I would explain all the difficulties I was facing. And the truth is, he didn't have the answers. He just gave me that look, and I knew what it meant. I warned you. I told you. And here you are. He just didn't know. That, excuse me, there was just no fix for what was going on. He warned me. And I bet if we all think hard enough, we probably have those moments in life where we've ignored advice from other people, chartered down our own path, figuring it out on our own, just to find out that they were right all along. Maybe we found out that our parents were right, and hanging out with the wrong people really does lead to a path of regret. Maybe we found out that our friends were right and that relationship we wanted that everybody told us wasn't going to be any good for us. We found out they were right. Maybe we found out that our character and our actions that people who love us have been warning us about, maybe we found out they were right and now we have to live in the shame and regret of what we've created for ourselves. Or maybe we found out that sin, well, sin can snowball. We can't control it. And once we start messing with it and dabbling in it, it can lead to far worse consequences than we could have ever imagined. You see, the reason why I told you so's are so humiliating is because we are confronted with the fact that all the trauma, the disappointment, the anger, the hurt, all of that could have been avoided. Life could have been better. I told you so's make us sit in our own foolishness. Because if we ignore wise advice, that's exactly what we're being. Fools. You see, this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' version of, I told you so. The situation we're jumping into is Easter Sunday. Jesus has risen from the grave, but nobody has any idea what that means yet. They don't know what to make of it. And in their midst, what they know is Jesus died they're disappointed. They're frustrated. He didn't do what they thought he was going to do. And folks, that's our number one problem in life. Jesus doesn't do what we want him to do. And that's where they're at. They're sitting in that. And they're focused on their disappointments. And the same thing will happen to us if we do what they do. If we focus on our frustrations and our disappointments, 
They just walk away from it all. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from the event that took place. Luke 24, 13 through 14 says this. It says that same day, this is resurrection, this is Easter, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Now remember, it's been a dark few days for these followers. While these aren't the apostles, the 12 that we think of, they were disciples of Jesus. They followed him in his ministry. They sat under his teachings. And Jesus has been killed. So they're leaving. They're going back home. They're walking away from it all. And they're talking and discussing their frustrations, their sadness, their disappointments. Verse 15 says, As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So for whatever reason, we don't know why, other than God stopped it, they didn't resurrect. people didn't know who Jesus was after the resurrection. It's as if the story is telling us they weren't ready to know who he was. Before they could really, before they could see Jesus, they had to truly understand who he was and what he has done on this deeper level. You see, they had the wrong expectations of who Jesus was. Before they were ready to see him and experience him, they had to have their expectations adjusted. Which asks us this morning, are we ready to see Jesus for who he is? Or are we blinded by our own expectations? When life doesn't go the way we want it to, when life gets shaken up, do we see Jesus still as the loving Savior who is worthy to worship? Or do we chase other things? When we come to the realization in life, which we all eventually will, that life isn't fair, do we seek to see what God wants to do through that? Or do we chart our own path of self-reliance? And what I love about this passage is they're walking away, they're frustrated, they're disappointed, and yet who shows up in the midst ready to hear him out? But they've got to be ready to hear him out. First, he lets them go. Verse 17 says, he asked them, "What what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. They stopped in their tracks. Sadness written across their faces. So Jesus comes up along and he invites himself in their conversation. He says, I'm willing to hear you out. What's going on? He wants to know why they're walking away from Jerusalem. Why are they walking away from the followers of Jesus, the other believers? Why are they so sad? He wants to hear them out. Why is your heart broke? He's ready to listen. Verse 18 says, one of them, Cleopas replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. I mean, of course, the story is filled with irony. This man must be the only person who hasn't heard. He's the only person that actually knows what is going on, what actually happened. But he welcomes welcomes this conversation. I love it. He's like, go ahead, talk. Let me hear your side. You explain to me what's going on and what's happening in this world. Verse 19, he said, what things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and of all the people. 
But our leading priest and the other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. So they retell the events from their own eyes. And what we have to understand is for them, they already had a theology of the cross. I want to geek out with you just for a minute. Let's get a little theological so we can understand and appreciate what's happening here. You see, when we talk about someone dying on a cross, the only thing that generally comes to mind is Jesus. Because we're so far removed from seeing, smelling, and watching people and hearing what a cross looks like. And especially if you grew up in church, you're used to just hearing about what's called atonement theories. And what atonement theories are, it's simply where very smart people come up with the very exact reasons what Jesus' death on the cross did and how it all works out. And the reason why this gets so difficult is because the Apostle Paul applies it in many different ways. And so for them, they have so much cultural baggage for what a cross means that Paul has to come at it from many different angles. For a first century Jewish person, the cross had a ton of meaning. To them, Jesus being executed meant Jesus had died a cursed death. It meant that Rome was still in charge and they would not be free from their oppression. The cross was gruesome. The cross was humiliating. And the cross meant they had lost. They explain. We had hoped, past tense, we had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened three days ago. You see, the cross crushed their hopes. As we saw, they knew Jesus was a prophet. They knew he was a great teacher. They admitted that, but they also knew he was killed. And their views, you got to look at it from their eyes, and their view, the pagans had defeated the prophet from God. They knew he was a prophet. They knew he was a mighty teacher. But the pagans had won and humiliated this man on the cross. So they had broken hearts. Their dreams have been crushed. They were expecting life to turn out one way, but it turned out a different way. They felt hopeless. And I ask you this morning, have you ever had your hopes and dreams crushed? Have you ever had expectations that weren't met? Have you learned that life isn't fair and bad things happen to good people all the time? Have you ever given your life to something to just have it pulled away and stripped away from you? Have you ever lost someone close to you? They're experiencing all of that at once. Hopelessness. Verse 22, they continue. Jesus was not only crushed on the cross. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early in the morning. They had came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. And some of our men ran to see and sure enough his body was gone just as the women had said. You see, they aren't impressed by this. They're astonished by the craziness of events. They don't believe he's still alive because if they did, they wouldn't be walking away from where they thought he was. So my translation is this. Things have gotten so crazy, we don't know what's going on, we had to walk away. 
We just can't understand it. We didn't see it coming, so we had to leave. I mean, we were his followers. This was risky. We might get hurt if we continue to gather with the people. Something might be at stake. We can't risk it. We can't do that. So we just need to walk away. So they shared their heart. And maybe you can identify with some of that. Maybe a piece of it. Maybe all of it. Jesus invited himself in the conversation. He heard what they had to say. Listen, he'll hear what you have to say. But are you ready to listen to him? This is where I love the Bible because it just rocks us. This is Jesus' as I told you so moment. Here's how he puts it. Then Jesus said to them, you're like, wait, yeah, it's in the Bible. This is his response. You foolish people. It hits hard, doesn't it? You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his glory? He says, I, he says as I told you so, moment, he says, you're being fools. You see, the problem is they find it too hard to believe. The scriptures have been pointing to this event. The Old Testament is filled with prophecies that point to this reality. And the great thing is, because of Google, I don't have to list them out for you. Google it. Old Testament prophecies Jesus fulfilled. Read them. Look at them. Start with Isaiah 53. We just have to move on. But Jesus says, listen, your scriptures have been pointing to this. You should have seen it coming. In fact, they were his followers, which means they would have heard him talk about his death and his resurrection, and they should, this should be all brought together for them. You see, they wouldn't be sad or confused if they chose to believe God's word. What's going on hasn't been hidden from them. They're just choosing to live their own narrative, their own way of looking at life. They're being self-sufficient, self-reliant. I have this figured out. I've been on this earth 28 years, 35 years, 50 years. I mean, I got this. Y'all ever been there? Yeah, here's how it's working. But it's been right there in the scripture the whole time. They're choosing to focus on their own narrative rather than God's narrative. They're choosing to believe the lies they tell themselves than what God has already laid out for them. You see, there's two ways for you and I to live. We can live in God's narrative and the story that he tells, or we can choose to believe our own and trust ourselves. What's happening to these these people are they're in a fog of unbelief. The reality of the world has challenged the authority of the Bible. You familiar with that? The reality of the world has challenged the authority of the Bible. We aren't the first people to have to deal with this. For them, sure, the Bible says the Messiah is going to come back, but people don't die and just rise back to life. It's like that's, that can't be what it means. So they're stuck in their unbelief and disappointment. And as followers of Jesus, we have to understand we're going to be challenged by the realities of this world and the realities of our culture and with the authority of the Bible. There's nothing new here. It happens every culture, every generation. We are challenged today with with sexual ethics, with gender issues, with what is and what is not sin. But this isn't a new thing, and here's how I can tell you why. Because it's in there, because the church has dealt with it, every generation deals with it. It's the same thing. 
The Bible already speaks to these things. And so for church people, especially if you grew up in church, the Bible is filled with unity commands. It's filled with how to get along. We aren't the first culture to have to figure out how to get generations to get along and come together. I mean, the first century problem was how do we take Jewish people and Gentiles and how can they come together for worship? Today we say, how can we get the boomers and the millennials to get along? And then we got this other generation Z. Who knows what they're thinking, right? You know what the key is, folks? Love other people. Stop condemning them because they're different. Right? I mean, it's, you know what's in here? We're like, yeah, but our own cultural expectations with the authority of the Bible, we all deal with it. And here's how you know if you're stuck in a fog like these people are. Is what you're doing and what you're thinking pulling you away from God or is it drawing you towards God? Is it pulling you away from God's people or is it bringing you in fellowship with his people? You see, we must be directed and defined by scriptures. It clears the fog for us. We're defined by scriptures because Jesus Christ says that he gives us a new identity. We are God's children through his death and resurrection. And because we've learned to live a life without God, we have to then figure out how to learn a life with God, which is why he directs us through the scriptures. The most basic teaching on this, probably the first Bible verse you ever learned as a child was this, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. But this is an adult thing, not a child thing. It's not an easy thing, but it's what we do. We are directed and defined by scriptures. And so Jesus calls them foolish because they have the answers. And sure, it's complicated. Sure, it's difficult to understand. But isn't everything? How about marriage? Is it complicated? Y'all, y'all, is your wife with you or is your husband with you today? Yeah. It's complicated, isn't it? Raising kids, is it easy? If it is for you, please email me, let me know so we can figure it out because I don't know what I'm doing. Anything worth doing is complicated and difficult. Folks, it's just life. Living our faith out is no different. And so what happens next is where we need to learn, lean in on. Look what Jesus does. 27 through, well, that's backwards. 27 says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So to clear up their unbelief, Jesus teaches them God's word. He unpacks it for them and goes through it with them to say, here's what it looks like. Here's what it's been saying. Here's what the scriptures teach, and this will help you in your unbelief. Which means for you and I, we need someone to teach us God's word. Whether it's here at this church or another church, we all need to be under good biblical teaching. And God has given people um, to the church to do just that. And we can't do this on our own. We need community. We need other people, people who can challenge us and sharpen us along on this Christian journey. You see, if Jesus uses the scriptures to unpack himself and unpack what they need to do to believe, and if this is what's important, surely we should use the scriptures. And we should sit under the scriptures and let someone unpack it for us. You see, they were looking at the events through their eyes, through their disappointments, through their unmet, unmet expectations, but there was another way to look at them, and that was through God's eyes. They just needed to sit under that teaching. 
you and I need to do this because every single one of us fight with arrogance and self-reliance. All right, we think we got it figured out. Y'all ever thought that before? And then that I told you so moment came. It's not fun, is it? It's definitely not fun when you find out it's already been written here 2,000 years ago. Like that's why we lean in. Verse 28 says, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on. I really want to know what happens. I can't wait to ask Jesus what he did and what that looked like, okay? Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So we went home with them. They were hungry for food. They were about to eat, but they were also hungry for God's word. So they said, man, you've been unpacking. You've been teaching this. Let's, can you keep doing this with us? Verse 30, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And that moment he disappeared. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? For whatever reason, perhaps how he broke the bread, they recognized who he was in their midst. This is Jesus. And as quickly as he came, he vanished. They went from broken hearts to burning hearts. They had grown cold, but it, the, um, excuse me, the ice was melted around their hearts from God's word. And this is what Jesus wants to do with you. He wants to meet you in your brokenness, your, unexpect, um, your unmet expectations, and he wants to meet you there and set your heart on fire for who he is and what he's doing in this world. You see, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything, folks. It's the event that changed the world. It's the event that caused them to say, this is not believe, excuse me, it caused them to believe the unbelievable is what I'm trying to say. The resurrection of Jesus went from unbelievable to believable because they met him. This is something that brings clarity on everything else. The reason why the resurrection is so important, because if he can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, then we believe everything else he says. And everything else he says is in here. So even though the scriptures are difficult, even though it's hard, even though we struggle and fight, if you're like, Brian, I've never felt that way. It's because you've never read them. If you read them, they're challenging. They beat you up. You're like, I don't like that. I don't want that to be true. That can't be true. But the reason why we lean in, the reason why we follow him is because Jesus predicted his death and resurrection. And if he said they were important, and if he taught that they were important, and if what he said's in there, then we just lean in and go for it. Because we believe that Jesus defeated death. We believe that he died on a bloody Roman cross and was resurrected three days later. And that confirms and it validates everything else he says. So our hope is not in this world. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. We realize nothing else we give our life to will satisfy. Nothing else will bring us the satisfaction, the desires, the peace, the comfort. All that stuff you're looking for, it won't be found in another boat, another fishing trip, another baseball thing, or whatever else you're pouring your life into. It won't work. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. That's the reason why we worship. We learn, we serve, we give, we pray, because Jesus conquered the death. And Jesus promised to give us eternal life if we believe and trust in him. And the scriptures, they've been pointing to that event. And our scriptures point back to that event. 
And this brings everything together for us. It brings everything in alignment that he defeated death. So our hearts can go from broken to burning for the things of God. Once they realize this, look what happens. And within an hour, where'd they go? They were on their way back to Jerusalem. They're like, I'm going back. I guess it's true. This must be happening. They run back to the fellowship of believers. They found the 11 disciples and others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. So check this out. When it all came together, they ran back to the fellowship of believers. They went back to be with God's people, not on our own, not independent, not trying to figure it out. When they realized the resurrection of Jesus, they ran back to God's people. They wanted to share with them, guess what we figured out? But guess what they already knew? He already showed up. Hey, we already got this. Before they could speak a word, it was already confirmed that he had risen from the grave. And this is why we're talking about this scripture, because this is what so many of you need to do. You need to get back with God's people. It's time, folks. It's It's time to stop making excuses about why you're not taking your faith serious. It's time to stop blaming COVID. It's time to be honest with yourself and get back with God's people and celebrate what God is doing in this world. And so I ask you, is your heart burning for the realities of God? Are you burning for Jesus Christ and the things that he's doing in this world? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? And I ask you because I love you. Do you actually know Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian? And be honest with yourself. Far too many people just assume they're saved. And I have no idea why they're so confident when they seem to ignore the Savior. I worry about them. And perhaps you've learned that you really don't trust Jesus throughout the last two years. You're like, hey, I don't have my hopes. I don't have my dreams. I don't want anything to do with him. Because if something gets a little scary and nervous, I run away from him. I don't run towards him. Maybe you're realizing you don't actually believe. You need to investigate that. You need to think through that. Do you really trust in him? Is your hope in him? And you may say, well, Brian, I've been in church my whole life. Folks, that just makes you a church attender. That doesn't make you a believer in Jesus Christ. I went to school my whole life. That didn't mean much when I was a student. (laughs) It just meant I had to go. I wasn't learning anything. Have you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Have you given him your life? Do you trust in him when things get hard, when life gets hard? Or do you find that you've just been trusting yourself? A trust in the news, a trust in social media. I have no idea why you would trust, but just maybe that's where you've been. When Jesus is calling, or maybe for you, your heart's grown cold. Maybe you've been focused on disappointments and frustrations, and maybe you have so much going on that if I heard your story, I'd be like, you're right. I mean, I'd, I'd be at the same place you are. But folks, I'm here to tell you that's why we need the church. That's why we need God's people. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ to strengthen us, to carry our burdens with us, to give us another perspective. Because if we're sitting over here by ourselves, I mean, I'm pretty good at talking myself into things. Are you? I can talk myself into anything. I need other people to pull me out of that to say, no, come on, let's go. That's not right. That's not true. That's just a lie. 
Let's go. That's why we need each other. And maybe for you, your disappointments happened at church. Like, I've been there. So let me just be brutally honest with you why I have you here on Easter. You'll never find a perfect church because we are imperfect people. But that doesn't mean you walk away from it all. We worship a resurrected Savior, not other people here at church. We are here for Jesus Christ. Also, you'll never agree with everyone on anything, on everything. Did you know that? That's just part of life. Sometimes we just got to grow up. We're not going to agree about everything. That's okay. That's not a reason to walk away. Because we can't grow unless we're challenged. And we're called to grow into maturity as disciples of Jesus Christ. So sometimes we're going to have to hang around people who believe differently. That can strengthen and sharpen our faith. And there will always be things competing for your time. You have to make time for things that are important. And folks, worshiping God is important. It's important to teach your children. It should be important for you. And I can't explain why it's important. I can't use words. That's why we come together to sing and use instruments. Because it's so, so magnificent. We just can't speak why. We have to just do it. So worship is important to come together and celebrate. And so what we see from this story, to wrap it up, is the way we go from a broken heart to a burning heart is putting your faith and trust in the resurrected Savior. It's giving him your life, saying, I trust in you. I want to follow you. You've done everything. I can't do it. So I'm going to rely on you. It's trusting Jesus, studying God's word, being taught God's word. And running to the fellowship of believers to be strengthened and encouraged and celebrate together. You see, I told you so conversations are tough to have. Especially when it comes to matters of faith. Because so much is at stake, folks. And honestly, I don't want to have them with you one day. I don't want to say I warned you. We told you, you could have avoided. So I plead with you to take your faith serious. It's time, folks. It's time to get back on track with the things of God. It's time to celebrate and remember our resurrected Savior. It's the most important thing you can do is continue to grow in your intimacy with God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the precious name of Jesus. We come to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done, Lord, the event that changed the world. Lord, we remember and celebrate that the resurrection was a real event in real time in history. That this isn't just a story or a fairy tale we believe, but a real event that happened. And Lord, so we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We trust in him for the life to come, but we trust in him for the life that we live here on this earth. Father, I pray that you use us in a mighty way for your glory. I pray that your spirit melts the ice around our hearts. I pray that we take our faith serious and that this is the day, an Easter day, that our faith is reignited once again for your glory. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.